Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. If you fear one thing in your life, fear the Jinn. An ancient Arabian legend says that God made humans from mud and clay, angels from light, and the Jinn from smokeless fire. In the Western world, many people readily accept the idea of angels and demons, but most have no knowledge of the Jinn, called God's other people. According to legend, the Jinn were the first inhabitants of this world, where they lived for thousands of years before humanity arrived. In order to make room for humans, angels took the Jinn out of this world and placed them in a dimension that parallels our own. There they stay hidden from our view. They have the ability to see and interact with us, but we have difficulty seeing them. They are cloaked in mystery, and it suits their covert purpose. The goal of most Jinn is to retake this world, which they feel rightfully belongs to them. In order to succeed, they must first make humanity give up stewardship of this reality. They are accomplishing this by stealth and disguise. They have great powers and plenty of time, for they live for centuries. Shape-shifting Jen may be responsible for many forms of paranormal phenomenon and experience, such as UFOs, shadow people, ghosts, poltergeists, and demonic possession. In such ways, they gain access to us that enables them to steal our life force and information about us and to manipulate and use us without revealing their true form and purpose. These negative experiences are on the rise. In their new book, The Vengeful Jen, authors Philip J. Imbrogno and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, two of the leading experts on the paranormal, present the findings of their in-depth investigation of the Jen, who they are, what they're doing, and how can they be countered. Rosemary and Phil have established GenUniverse.com as an educational website about these mysterious and powerful beings. To learn more about the Jen and their actions in our world, be sure to order your copy of their groundbreaking and revealing book, the Vengeful Jen on the link provided on the homepage. All copies are autographed by both Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil Imbrogno. So be sure to visit GenUniverse.com. That's D-J-I-N-N-Universe.com. The Jen may be one of the greatest dangers to ever present itself to the human race. Now their mask is off. 
In tonight's show, I have the president of the Monroe Institute, Mr. F. Holmes, Skip Atwater, giving a talk to a group from the Monroe Institute on the topic of hemisync. His bio from the Monroe Institute website reads as follows. Raised in a spiritually oriented family environment, Skip Atwater's childhood was filled with extraordinary psychic experiences. As a young adult, he was guided from within to a career as a counterspy during the Cold War era, where he used his natural psychic aptitude as a U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent. He played a key role in the remote viewing intelligence program now known to the world by the codename Stargate. For 10 years, Skip was the operations and training officer for this secret remote viewing program. He recruited and trained an elite cadre of professional intelligence officers to do, to do uh, remote viewing for the Department of Defense and various members of the national intelligence community. He planned, conducted, and reported thousands of remote viewing intelligence collection missions. After retiring from the Army, Skip became research director and, more recently, the president of the Monroe Institute, a 501c nonprofit research and educational organization. The Monroe Institute also serves as the core of a research affiliation investigating the evolution of human consciousness and making related information available to the uh, public. The Institute is devoted to the premise that focused cons consciousness contains definitive solutions to the major issues of human experience and that of greater understanding of such consciousness can be achieved through coordinated research efforts using an interdisciplinary approach. While working in the Bob Monroe Research Lab, he has explored the realms of his own consciousness and adopted a spiritual perspective of everyday life. In his role as research director, he published technical research on methods for expanding consciousness, authored the inspirational book Captain of My Ship, Master of My Soul, now available as an ebook, and assisted hundreds of individuals in experiencing and exploring expanded states of consciousness. With that, I present to you the president of the Monroe Institute, Skip Atwater. Well, we want to talk this afternoon about hemisync. Now, hemisync is an interesting um, application of sound. You probably have heard people say or read about a sound in one ear and a slightly different sound in the other ear, and it's the way the brain reacts to these different sounds, and that's hemisync. Actually, it's a little more complex than that. We'll get involved in the sound thing in just a minute. But something that we call the hemisync process, or over the years, what has been developed as an effective way to use this to gain personal experience? What is an effective method for allowing people this finding out for themselves? Remember Bob Monroe said, the only way to know is to find out for yourself. You know, it's like you can read books about it, you can talk to interesting people, you can watch TV, documentaries, but you're never really going to know until you find out for yourself. So that's 
the legacy that Bob Monroe left behind is a way for you to find out for yourself. And we call that the hemiseq process. Since I talked about the legacy of Bob Monroe, I think it probably might be okay to say that the Monroe Institute itself was formed as a nonprofit organization in 1985. Ten years later, in 1995, Bob had his last out-of-body experience. He passed. And today happens to be the anniversary. Bob passed on St. Patrick's Day in 1995. So I thought it would be worth an honorable mention, since we're talking about the legacy that he's left behind. This idea of talking about the process, this hemisync process, what is the educational process whereby one can have this personal experience so that one can <coughs> find out for themselves. Now, it's not so easy to talk about it like you might talk about a medication. You take your vitamin pill in the evening, for example, and you say, ah, but what's the active ingredient? You know, it has 80% fillers and this kind of color dye and coated with this and a little sugar mixed in or whatever. Inside, 2% of it is the active ingredient of the actual thing that's supposed to do you molecular good. And it might be interesting to talk about, well, what's the active ingredient in hemisync? Is it the theta sound pattern, or what is it? <laughs> but you can't really break it down that way. It's not the same thing. It's much easier to talk about this as being not so much an active ingredient formula, but a recipe. I mean, if you imagine I ask you, well, what is the active ingredient in this marvelous chocolate cake? I just had this wonderful piece of chocolate cake. What's the active ingredient? Well, you know, is it the eggs? Is it the flour? Is it the sugar? Is it the shortening? Is it, what is it? What's the active ingredient? Well, my wife would say it's the chocolate, obviously. That's the active ingredient in a chocolate cake. But you get my point. It's not so much just one thing. It's the way in which a variety of things come together to create this thing called the chocolate cake. So let's talk about hemisync in that way. What is the recipe? What are the individual ingredients in the hemisync process? And it all starts off with the physical relaxation, the idea of physical relaxation. Now that in itself is not so strange. You think, well, yeah, a lot of meditative techniques that have to do with getting physically relaxed. But I want to discuss this in two kind of different venues. First, the physiology or the measurable things connected with relaxation. And the other side of that is your awareness or consciousness. Are you aware? Do you know when you're relaxed or not? And that's a little bit different. If we go first over to the physiology of relaxation, those are all objective measurements. If I say to you, okay, so I, here I am, I'm going to relax. I'm going to let go of my muscles and I'm going to relax. Well, what things could you measure? You could measure muscle tension. And when you measure the muscle tension going down, then you could measure the blood pressure going down. And as the blood pressure goes down, then you notice the heart rate also goes down. Then as the heart rate slows down, your respiration slows down. As the heart rate slows down, respiration slows down, 
cortisol <coughs> levels change in your bloodstream? We, you have now sort of found a way but past hypertension. It's, oh, i got to get this work done, kind of a hypertension. You've conquered that. With measurable means, we can hook wires up to you and measure those things and take your blood and measure the changes in blood. Go on up to the head and you can see changes in brain waves. Your brain waves slow down from the cacophony of beta down into alpha, maybe even down into theta. And the slower the rhythm, the more synchronous your hemispheres become as you get into this relaxed state. Now, even though we can measure those things and make some sort of an objective definition, do this, do this, do this, do this, that is a measurement of relaxation. You can even measure your extremities when your fingers and your ears and toes and so forth warm up. It means that the capillaries have expanded and you're passing more blood through your extremities. So you are warming up and that's a measurement of relaxation. Even in biofeedback, they teach you how to warm up your hands. It's a matter of reducing blood pressure so your migraine goes away. But you think you're just warming your hands all that time, but it's actually changing a great amount of physiology. So those things are measurable. But if we go over here to the other realm, do you know when you are relaxed? You don't have all those meters to say, oh, look, look, yeah, I'm relaxed now. Yeah, all those meters are right, I'm relaxed. <laughs> well, when we're sitting here right now, it's sort of questionable. Are you relaxed or aren't you? You really don't know. I might come home from the office one day and be all tensed up and say, you know, I'm a high-powered salesman and we just closed the Phillips account and my goodness, I'm so relaxed. I know I've been tense for a couple of weeks. I'm so relaxed now, I just can't stand it. If I always have a beer now, I'd say that. And I don't know. I'm really not aware of the tension and what I'm doing to my I'm not conscious of that. Well, this kind of an awareness thing is something that people have been dealing with for a long, long time in trying to um, lower the hypertension and the cardiovascular disease that we have, and in psychological intervention to try to get by anxiety disorders, like, I'm really afraid to go up the dark stairs, I can't stand going into the parking lot at work, it's just terrible, oh no, I'm so afraid, that kind of tension and anxiety disorder. And so over the years we've learned to train people to take charge of and become aware of their own physical relaxation. One of the techniques that was developed many, 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 many years ago was by a guy named Jacobson back in the 1800s, and he invented something called the Jacobson Progressive Relaxation Technique. Now that might sound like something like this. There's lots of adaptations, but it might sound something like this. With your hand, take your fingers and push the nails of your fingers down into the palm of your hand. Wrap your palm, hand tight, wrap your thumb around the fingers, squeezing tightly, feeling the tension, feeling the nails pressing into the palm, feeling tight and tense. Now slowly extend every finger, one at a time, unwrap your thumb and extend. Relax. Feel the warmth flow into your hand. Enjoy this feeling of relaxation. Now once again, tight, gripping, tight, pressing, tense. And slowly release and extend. 
feel the warmth, and enjoy this feeling of relaxation. Now, with my voice, and with my choice of words, and with a little biofeedback thing called my hand, those things really do happen. So, so I now become aware. Is my hand relaxed? And you sort of reflect back and you say, yes, my hand's relaxed. Well, the way you would use this would be to work through your body, maybe starting at the feet, working up, or maybe you could start with your forehead, relaxing your forehead and work down. But it might sound something like this, you know. Think about your feet. Curl the toes of your feet tight up inside. Tight, tight, squeezing your toes against your feet. Now extend your toes, extend and relax. Relax your toes. Tight and relaxed. Notice the difference between being tight and being relaxed. Now the arch in your shoes. Your arch, tighten the arch of your foot. Tighter, tighter. Now I'm doing that inside my tennis shoes already. You can see. <laughs> Flatten your feet out now, relax your feet. And now your ankles, and now your calves, now your knees, now your thighs, your quads, your hips, your buttocks, your stomach, your back, your shoulders, your arms, your hands. Your head and your neck and your jaw and your forehead and your scalp, you know, and you go through the whole body kind of a thing. So much so that you, you become aware of how each body part feels, and you practice this over and over again. Now, does this notion, this idea of moving through the body, remind you of anything? Remember the exercise that you had early on this week? And Bob Monroe said in his big voice, say to yourself, say to your left foot, relax, let go. Okay. And you work through your body that way. You've just done, done a hypnotic induction. Does this mean that hemisync is basically hypnosis? Hemisync and hypnotic induction, uh, or this part, this relaxed part, can be very similar. Hypnosis is much more intense, and I'll show you an example of that. But the idea of, in, of gaining personal control of your body and the idea of hypnotic induction through the same concept are very, very similar. I'll give you an example of hypnosis. Now, this idea of going through the parts of the body, which Bob and I, you know, worked up all the way through the body, then you pull the sheet up and so forth and so on. That's not on the exercises that you have now. But that's been replaced by something called the preparation process. There's a time space in the exercise for doing your preparation process. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be, you know, checking out, is your body relaxed? Okay, fine. Okay, I'm itch there. Okay, 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 okay. It's fine. You know, you're supposed to actually physically think about, am I relaxed? Am I doing okay? You probably don't have to work anymore all the way through the feet all the way up. If you're having trouble relaxing because you're a little nervous about something, then you might go through the routine. Your body sort of knows what that is now. But it may be that you don't have to do that anymore. There is a Pavlov effect happening. You climb in the booth, you close the <laughs> curtain, you turn out the light, set your ready light on, lay down, put your head, your body is sort of clued in. When they do this, we know what's about to happen, okay? 
So there is a sort of a routine or a ceremony that your body is now accustomed to doing when you go into the booth. But you're supposed to be thinking about getting relaxed comfortably during this window called the preparation process. Now you asked about the idea of hypnotic induction. I had never been hypnotized till about seven, maybe about eight years ago when I, um, man that went through the uh, gateway here happened to be a professional psychologist had been working in the field for many, many years and said, well, next time you visit uh, Colorado on your lecture tour, why don't you stop by and we'll run a hypnotic session for you. So <coughs> I took advantage of that. I called him up and he met me in the hotel room and we went through in a hypnotic induction, which was really cool. I'd never been hypnotized before. What he did with a couple of extra steps he said, first of all, Skip, um, we need to have a relaxation measuring device so that you know how relaxed you're getting. And he says, this is going to be a mental tool that you use. And the best thing that works is something that if you imagine something like a thermometer. And this thermometer goes from zero all the way up to 100. And you could actually go over 100 if you want. And so if you close your eyes now, Skip, uh, look at this meter. Close your eyes and tell me, how relaxed are you on this meter that goes like a thermometer from 0 to 100, and maybe it goes over 100? And so I closed my eyes and he said, well, it's about 65, 68 now. He says, oh, good. That's good. Okay. He says, now, the other neat thing that you're going to need as a mind tool is you're going to need some sort of a switch. Can you bring to mind a switch that you think about that sort of something you can always visualize? And I said, yeah, this switch is in my greenhouse out where the hot tub is, and it turns on and off the air circulation. It's brown, an old-fashioned brown plastic switch with a toggle in the middle of it. But it's definitely brown and has little, you know, I'm getting it into my mind really good. Yeah. It says, okay, good, yeah. So he goes into relaxation thing, he starts talking about my feet and feel my feet and this, that, and the other thing, and so forth and so on. Then he says, you know, breathe deep, blah, 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 think about your feet. Okay, now think about your right foot. Think about your foot relaxing and getting warmer, relaxing and getting warmer. And he says, now think about that switch. Remember the switch you talked about? Imagine now that you have a switch in the ankle of your right foot. Can you see the switch in the ankle of your right foot, Skip? Yes, I see it. Okay. Now, in your mind, reach down, in your mind, reach down, and turn off that switch. Okay. Now enjoy this feeling as all tension in your foot goes away because you've turned off the switch. Okay, so he goes, you know, through to my knees and my other foot and then the switch here and the switch there. And he gets up to about my waist and he says, Now Skip, look at your relaxation meter. What does your relaxation meter say now? I say, Oh, it's up to 85 now. Oh, very good, Skip. Yeah. Let's continue. <laughs> so he gets you invested in this. He gets you invested in it through his suggestions. But it worked really well, you know, the whole idea of doing that. But the more investment you had in being in control of yourself, with your little switches and your own meter and everything, you understood that you then were the one that was inducing yourself. You weren't saying, what are you going to do to me when you hypnotize me? Am I going to bark like a dog? What's going to happen here? Because you were definitely in control of the
But they are similar kinds of things, capturing the relaxation of the body. Maybe premature, but of course, one of the aspects of hypnosis is hypersuggestibility. Does mm-hmm. that occur under MECG as well? We've actually done some studies, and you can ask um, Shirley about the studies. There's been hypnotists who have asked when somebody scores on poor suggestibility standards, would using hemisync increase their scores? and to make them more sensitive to hypnosis. In other words, you have you want to hypnotize this person to help them stop smoking, and yet they don't score well at all on the suggestibility scale. Can we change that? Can they practice with some hemisync for a while and change that? And there's been some studies done on that. Uh, ask Shirley about them, and she'll give you those studies. So we want to move on to the second ingredient now. You have a sense of the first thing that we're going to do in this hemisync process is the idea of physical relaxation. The second thing is paying attention to your breathing. Paying attention to this process of breathing. Now, the idea of breathing is usually something that's unconscious. It's autonomic. We don't pay attention to it. We don't think about taking the next breath. We just do. So I'm suggesting here (coughs) that you take some time in your preparation process to turn your attention to this thing called breathing, to this idea of breathing that is normally an unconscious process. Pay attention to it for a little bit. Pay attention to this process. Now, this, again, is not so strange when you think of different meditation techniques. In yoga, you pay attention to your breathing, prana, the breath of life. In ki energy or chi energy, depending on whether you're in Japan or China, the idea of paying attention to breath and martial arts and the different poses you go into and the different flows are all key to the breath and the projection of key energy or chi energies, depending whether it's karate or kung fu. Now, otherwise in the world, people in sports pay attention to breathing, right? When you push out the weight, you breathe out. Inhale, inhale. The idea of paying attention to flexing. And medical doctors, when you're in the OR, think breathing is important because they think you die if you stop breathing. <laughs> so the idea of breathing and being part of being alive is sort of ingrained in our Western style of thinking, but it goes even deeper than that. The idea of breathing is locked into our language. Now, I see people here from several different countries from Japan. How about Europeans? Do you have Europeans in here? Mm-hmm. Europeans, uh, Africans, Asians, anybody else? South America. South America, okay. In our languages, search for words that mean the same thing. When I, in English, when I say, gee, look at this tapestry up here, what an inspiration. Or I say, the artist was very much inspired. Well, the word inspire means to breathe in. Okay? Do we say, are we saying literally, boy, she held her breath a long time? (laughs) Or we could say, I'm so inspired, but we could say, that takes my breath away. Now, what are we saying? What are we saying when we use the word to be inspired? It's almost as though we're saying, it fills me up with creativity, 
or she must have been filled with creativity. And you could sort of go just a little bit further and say, maybe it fills you up with creative spirit. This idea of being inspired fills you up in some way. Now, what is it that is being filled up here? I think this whole idea of paying attention to breathing is a metaphor. Now, our mantra is that we are more than our physical bodies. And I think this idea of paying attention to our breathing, normally an unconscious activity, is a metaphor of paying respect to that part of us that's the non-physical part. It's a metaphor for doing that. Maybe. It's just an interesting thing. Now, when I talk about paying attention to, I'm talking about sort of ceremonially, like a tea ceremony. It's always done in the same way. It is always symbolic. Every motion that is done, every grace that is paid, has symbolism behind what is happening there. So, too, does paying attention to your breathing have symbolism behind it and to what that means? Now, when you first had an exercise here, somewhat like when Bob, you know, said, focus your mind on your left foot and relax. There was a point in time when an exercise where Bob said, take in a big breath and hold it. Now relax and breathe normally. Take in a big breath and hold it, so forth and so on. That went away very quickly to be replaced by something called resonant tuning. But look at the mechanics of what you're doing. Taking a big breath, mechanically it's the same thing. The idea of paying attention to, being in control of, ceremoniously doing this thing, it's all about breathing. Now I know some of the trainers talk about pay attention to the vibrations in your body. Try to change the chakra levels at which you feel this vibration. Can you see colors change as you breathe? Try changing the vowel sounds, A-E-I-O-U. Try changing the vowel sounds in your chanting, see what that changes. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying here, just the simple mechanical fact, you're purposefully, with purpose, taking in a big breath, oh, is regulating your breathing processes. So we've talked about two ingredients in this hemisync process. One being physical relaxation, the next being this idea of paying attention to your breathing. And I want to stop and say here, in sort of a joking manner, remember my name is Skip, and I'm saying that in a joking manner because I don't want you to skip over these two ingredients. If you were making a chocolate cake, you wouldn't leave out the eggs just because, what the heck, let's leave the eggs out. You wouldn't substitute margarine for genuine butter, you wouldn't leave that out. If you're making this great chocolate cake, you would make sure you got all your ingredients just right. So those steps have been put in there for a reason. And I do know that some of you, you know, you're laying in your check unit and say, man, when I get through with this stupid chanting, when you get on the level <laughs> But I'm suggesting that you think about this differently, that they are part of the ingredients, part of the process here. The third ingredient that we want to talk about is that of setting your intent. Now, every time I give this talk, I try to think of a big word way, way 
to explain how important setting your intent is. You must set your intent. Your intent, what you carry as your intent, determines the experience you're going to have. It is your intent that determines the experience you're going to have. Now, if everybody says, oh, I agree with that, that's wonderful, what a wonderful knowledge, oh, oh, oh. it's not quite that simple, because we are complex psychological human beings. When we say, when I say with a big, strong voice, it's my intent to do this, I know intellectually that probably about 15% of my awareness is the awake ego part, and about 85% is unconscious the habits and things I do every day, breathing, how I tie my shoes, all that is pre-programmed unconscious activity. A big part of what I am, unconscious activity. This little tiny awareness part of me up here that thinks it's all there is, is actually only about 15% of what I am. So in this little tiny baby 15%, I say, I intend to do this. Or I'm laying in my check unit and we're going, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I intend to get out of my body. And that other big daddy unconscious part says, you're not going to die. You're going to stay right here. You're not going to do that. But it's unconscious, so you don't know it's saying that. That's why it's unconscious. So no matter how much you scream and yell in your conscious mind about your intent, there's that unconscious protector part of you. Now, that's not the end of it in terms of the complex human nature here, and we're only going to talk about a couple of things. Another one is the fact that there are many more parts of me than just Skip, given the last two lecture. I have many personalities of this guy named Skip, many aspects or expressions of this guy named Skip. Um, I'm Grandpa Skip. I have eight and a half grandchildren, that's so I'm Grandpa Skip. Okay. My son got married on um, Valentine's Day down in Florida, so I was Skip the dad, you know, father of the groom. Um, when I'm at home, I'm Skip the dishwasher. You know, <laughs> I get up first and make a coffee for my wife and stuff, so I'm Skip the percolator guy, or skip the cook, or whatever you want to call him, okay? Sometimes I get to play racquetball. Now, that's a different guy. Is that skip on the racquetball court? I have many expressions of who I am. So when I say, I intend to do this, what about all the other parts of me? Did they get to vote on this? I want to go play racquetball. I want to go see my grandchildren. I want to see them. They didn't get to vote on this. So as much as I'd like to say with all the power in the world, it's your intent that's important. Your intent creates your experience. It's a, it's a little more complicated than that because your intent is sort of hard to nail down. We could get a little esoteric and say, what about your karmic intent? And if you don't speak karma, you could say, what about my divine right purpose for being here? What am I doing here on here? What am I supposed to be doing? And how can I best achieve that? So if I have an intention to go get just one more ice cream cone, 
you know, maybe that doesn't serve my divine right purpose. So if you break it down and get it a little bit more simple, there's the intent, and it's all important. And then over here, there's another thing called expectations. Because if you have an intent to do this, what expectations do you carry along with you? Expectations are sort of the baggage you carry through life. I mean, you came here and had an interview with one of the trainers, and they specifically said to you, you know, we can't guarantee you're going to have an out-of-body experience while you're here. And you're like, oh, yes, I understand. Yeah, I've read all the literature. I understand that. I don't have that in my expectations. God, I hope I can't be really <laughs> So these things called expectations have a whole lot to do with what is going on in your experience. You have this intent. This part of my talk is all about objectifying, declaring out your intent setting your intent, but you have these expectations. Now, you'll learn from your guest speaker tonight that there might be a way to divide this up a little bit different, that you have your intention, and then you have your expectations. But if you're really going to fulfill your intention, you better pay attention how much attention, how much effort are you going to give? Or are you just going to lay back and say, Well, come on. I told you I wanted that ice cream. Where is it? You, know, you have to sort of give it your attention. So, intention, be careful of the expectations, but you have to give it some attention. In a more general way, this is all about setting your intent. And setting your intent is all about navigation. Now, right here, in this physical world, I can go north, south, east, west, and I can even go up and down in a three-dimensional world. I thought I had these skills down pretty well, being to navigate in the physical world. And then, when I was a toddler, my parents introduced me to the swimming pool. And you walk down a few steps in the swimming pool, and when you step your foot forward, you start falling over, and you start floating. All these navigational ways that I learned to get around this physical world weren't so good in water. I had to learn another form of navigation called swimming, right? But I had to learn that. It's different than walking around. Same thing on a bicycle. It's a different way of navigating. The walking rules and the swimming rules don't work. You have to learn the bike riding rules for navigation in this different environment. But now you are moving into a mental realm where thought is think. And you must learn a new way to navigate. That's what setting your intent is, is this navigational means. So important is your intent. What you pay attention to, what is your intent controls the experience you're going to have. Now that isn't only the case in your check unit. When you go into the check unit, and what is it that you set your intent on? What goes on that you miss? But it, that doesn't mean it didn't go on. That just means you're missing it. And that's not just limited to your check unit or this video. What's in this room? How many gorillas are in this room right now that we don't know are there? 
that we exclude from our perceptual venue. Okay. This whole idea of expectation happens every day in life. Somebody walks up to us, and depending upon the way they do their hair, or what clothes they're wearing, or how neat are their shoes, we have certain expectations about that person. It's very, very interesting how these expectations work. Obviously, it's a protection sort of a mechanism, you know, when you're walking through the jungle and the lion is moving towards you, you have an expectation that you get away, because lions eat people. But isn't it interesting as humans that we can't say, oh, look, it's another angel from God. I wonder what gifts they brought me. No, we have all these filters and all of these expectations about what we meet in other people and what goes on in our lives. So, too, in the check unit. So, how are you going to navigate in this realm? In this realm where... You no longer have any input from the physical world. You are navigating in consciousness. You must set your intent, else you'll be cast asunder into, what's going on in this video? What girl? I don't know. What's going on here anyways? Okay. Now the tool that you use to set your intent is the affirmation. The skills in science behind affirmation work not only in your check unit, they work in life too, and in manifesting reality around you from day to day. But this is your opportunity to set your intent for your experience in the check unit in a realm where thought is thing. Okay? Now you know that the present gateway affirmation beginning, I am more than my physical body, and because I am more than my physical body, is something that was created by Bob Monroe. But some of you come up to the trainers and said, you know, I don't get some of that. I don't understand sort of what Bob is saying there. You know, Bob keeps talking about, I'm protected from this, and I'm protected from that, and it's like, is this dangerous? Like, is, is there a boogeyman out there that I should be worried about protecting myself from? Well, Bob was not trying to do that, okay? Bob was trying to answer some questions that came to him after he began to lecture on these subjects because people were exhibiting fear situations. And fear is sort of the biggest limitation here, even an unconscious fear of things going on. So Bob was trying to say, you know, if people would just tell themselves that they're protected, that would be okay. But we understand a little bit more now about the skills and the choice of words in affirmation, and we know that to build more defenses creates an attack. Okay? That's kind of in the science or laws of building affirmations. So if you say, gee, I just don't dig this protection thing that Bob talks about, that's okay. Okay, you can be creating your own affirmation. Another thing that Bob talks about is being in control. I'm more than my physical body, and because I'm more than my physical body, I'm in control of this, and I'm in control of that. And so people have come and said, is Bob some sort of a control freak? <laughs> and yeah, he sort of was. I mean, you don't, you don't get to be vice president of NBC Radio if you aren't in control of all the aspects of everybody that works for you and being very successful. 
But that isn't what Bob was trying to do. People were worried that, oh my God, Bob, if I roll out of my body, I'll be zipped off to Never Never Land. Will I ever be able to make it back to my body? And Bob was like, you know, you're still in control. And so he was just trying to get some words to alleviate people's concerns about this loss of control, because that's something that ego doesn't like at all, to be outside of control. But if you don't like those words, that's okay. You can be creating your own affirmation. So I would suggest, though, you stick with the first part. I am more than my physical body. And because I am more than my physical body, <coughs> the only reason I'm suggesting that is for the six days that you're here. I mean, you paid the big bucks. You came to the Monroe Institute. That's what we're all about is an experience of <coughs> understanding you're more than your physical body. So for six days, what the heck? You know, you can stick with that front end there. But then you can be making up creating for yourself your own affirmation. And there are some sort of guidelines and rules that you might want to follow if you're going to do that. Present tense, active voice, positive statements, done in an altered state of consciousness, and objectified. So let's go through those a little bit and understand them a little more. Present tense. You want to declare your affirmation in the now. This is happening right now. And this is a very interesting thing about the way we speak and the way we manifest reality. It is in the now. You can imagine me being very frustrated after you know, being out of the Army 20 years now and I've got all this poundage I didn't used to carry around. I'm thinking, you know, this is just horrible. I, I gotta take <coughs> care of myself. You know, I mean, tomorrow I'm gonna start my diet. And I walk around all day affirming this. This tomorrow I'll start my diet. Tomorrow I'm going to start. I'm going to take control of my life. Tomorrow I'm going to start my diet. So 6:30 in the morning I roll out of bed and I'm like, oh man. Tomorrow I'm going to start my diet. So you keep pushing it out in front of you. Okay. You have to say things in the present tense. Else you are manifesting through your words. The condition of the now, and the condition of the now is I need to lose weight. So you need to be thinking about it's in the now. So you can't be holding two conflicting thoughts at the same time. You cannot be thinking I am unhealthy and need something to be healthy. At the same time, you're holding an affirmation of I'm in perfect health and in God's image from moment to moment. You can't hold those two conflicting thoughts in your mind at the same time. So if you go through life saying, I'd really be happy if I was rich. God, if I just had some more money, I would be happy. Well, what does God answer your prayer with? Live in poverty, my child. I mean, that's what you're saying. It's in the now, I'm unhappy and in poverty. And God says, you got it, kid. Go for it. Because you're making your happiness conditional on having something which you perceive you don't have when you've always been provided the abundance you always need. Present tense. Active voice. In English, we have action verbs and we have being verbs, like Isar Wesworth, and we have action verbs like run, jump, play, so forth and so on. It's much better to use action verbs, if you can, if you can phrase your affirmation in action verbs. It would be better to say, I run fast, instead of saying, 
I am a fast runner. If you can rephrase it into action verbs, it's a better affirmation. It has to do with brain synapses, the way the word and the concept is formed in terms of numbers of brain synapses involved in anchoring that, what we might call a cognitron, a thought group of neuronal firings. There are a larger number of brain neurons involved in action verbs because it involves an image and everything else of the running than saying, I run fast. If you make it an action verb, you get much more imprint on the physical world than you do if you use being verbs. So to the degree that you can, try to make things action verbs. Present tense, active, good things. Present tense, active voice, favorable thing, favorable thing. Positive statements. Present tense, active voice, positive statements. You don't want to go, go around saying, I'm a bad person. <laughs> I'm a bad person. I mean, why are you talking to yourself this way? You, know? you should say good things. Now, it's very important that you think about this. I mean, thinking about what you're going to say, who do you think is speaking? You know, first there was the word. Who do you think is speaking here? Talk. Think about what you're saying. If I say, tomorrow I'll start my diet, today I'm saying, I'm too fat. Why should I go around saying, I'm too fat? Why? It's just going to manifest that in my life. So you have to be very careful. Even, even the concept of saying, I'm getting better and better every day. And that sounds so nice. But what is it really saying about the now? I'm not quite so good today. Okay. Think about what you're saying. When you're creating your affirmation, which is the tool you're going to use for navigation in this mental space, think about what you're going to say in your affirmation about setting your intent. Press tense, active voice, positive statements. Done in an altered state of consciousness. In my wide-awake ego state now, there are many, many things that I'm aware of that are going on right now. But they get filtered out. Those things that rise to consciousness get filtered out, like the sounds of the phones ringing upstairs, or people walking on the floor, the changing of the shadows as the sun passes, the sounds of the seats moving around. All of those get sort of filtered out, because the only thing that's important is the next three words that come out of my mouth. And so I have this threshold of importance, somewhat like Maslow's thresholds, you know, remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You know, is this thing going to kill me? Is it going to provide me food, clothing, and shelter? Am I going to get laid? You know, all these different things are prioritized as to the importance of this particular input coming in. So I have this, like, executive council that's filtering out all of these perceptions. So if I say, right now, in my wide awake, beta activity brain waves, paying attention to what the next three words coming out of my mouth are going to be, if I say, I run fast, what do you think happens? My filter system says, 
That is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. You are a 60-year-old fat man. This statement will not be integrated into self-concept. Immediately in the trash. Okay. It's like, you know, on your computer. Put this in the trash. Okay? Now, fortunately, this executive council that filters out things that are coming into my input and says what's important it's not important goes to sleep when you alter your consciousness down into the theta state. Mm -hmm. Somewhat like hypnosis and the idea of post-hypnotic suggestion. In my wide-awake state right now, if you said, okay, when you wake up and I clap my hands, you'll bark like a dog. My wide-awake ego state says, you don't have that kind of power over me. I'm not doing that. But when this executive council goes to sleep and that suggestion is made, it's like, Sounds reasonable to me. Is that what you're supposed to do? You know? It's very similar to that kind of a situation. So I get down into this theta state, and it's called, sometimes called autogenic shift or getting into the frontal theta state. I get down into this theta state, and I say, I am more than my physical body. And because I am more than my physical body, I run fast. Well, because this executive council is not there to filter it anymore, the brain works differently. Back here in the reticular activating system, in the brain system, in the brain stem, it's sort of like, and this is a metaphorical story, it's sort of like it starts saying, look that up in the files. Do we have any evidence of this? Did you hear what he said? See if you can find any evidence of that. Well, yeah, I went to get ice cream the other night, and he ran really fast. <laughs> when the dog got out, he was pretty fast, too. And I saw him with his grandchildren, and he ran pretty fast chasing the grandkids, you know. Mm. Yeah, he does run fast. <laughs> we will integrate this into personal concepts, okay? Because it isn't immediately figured out, the brain itself sort of works differently in the way it deals with information. So when you're creating your affirmation, right, present tense, active voice, positive statements, you want to implement this affirmation in an altered state of consciousness. And a really good, nice, fuzzy theta state is on your way to focus 10. Okay, so that's a really good time. Is it good to repeat it after you're in F10? You can. There's no doubt just, that just if you're to make still talking, sure, like, that you're really that's fine. Anchoring it is just fine. It's as long as you're not in the beta wide awake state, which is the time when it's likely to be discarded. And we're about out of time for this show. I will play the conclusion to this talk given by Skip Atwater, president of the Monroe Institute, in next week's show. If you'd like to learn more about Skip or the Monroe Institute, uh, you can go to their website, uh, www.monroeinstitute.org. Until then, this is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network. <laughs>